Amen, amen. God bless you, church. Good to see you this morning. Great being up here with these fine fellows. It was uh, such a pleasure being with um, the men of LWC this past weekend. Uh, almost 40 of us uh, on the retreat, and we had such a fantastic time. God met us in such, such a wonderful way. I want to thank um, all that, that had a part of putting it together, um, so many people Pamela and Jesse and um, Bob and so many people just came and cleaned and Adrian and just setting all of these things up, always Samara. It was such a wonderful effort of coming together and then seeing what God does. You know, um, we can't manufacture anything. You know, we put our hands to the plow as God called us to do it, and then we just step back and watch what he does through our natural efforts where all has spiritual connotations, but then God just does something in the supernatural deep within the spirit man, and he really showed up that way this weekend, and what an amazing time. I'm looking out very closely to see the fruit that comes out of that because I know it would be it would be much. Um, the kitchen staff and the food was so good. The the hospitality, um, yeah, it was it was just awesome. Um, in so so many ways, all the hard work. I was I was saying to Yvette when she came on on Thursday uh, with like a big shopping cart of stuff rolling in, and I said, you know. People never see that part. You know, like you had to go to a store after you wrote a list, after we had a meeting, and wait online and get the stuff and then bring the stuff and then pick up some other stuff because we changed our mind on some stuff. And, and then you got to like cook it and prepare it and, you know, just, just what, what an effort. But what an amazing time we had um, with the men, use that big, big fireplace that we have there. And we had a big fire, but it looks so small because that thing is so huge. You'd have to light like half a forest to fill that thing up. And I don't know if you saw me up there next to Noli, but I, I, I had a little breakthrough. They, Heather gave me permission to sing. Um, I made sure that I stayed enough outside of the microphone that we could all worship together, but what a wonderful time we have. So as I was preparing the message for today, which is called Promise Fulfilled, and this morning we're going to be in Joshua chapter 21, just a couple of verses. We're going to start reading at verse... 43, and I'm in the ESV, Joshua chapter 21, I was thinking about um, how often when I used to shop at stores, I never really liked shopping, and people started shopping online, I was like, I'll never do that. That is like, they're going to just get your credit card and you're going to have a problem. Now, I hardly ever go to the store. I 
always shop online. And one of the things that they have when uh, you shop online, if you frequent certain places, is a wish list category. You know, things that um, I'm not ready to purchase this right yet. I'm not going to put it in my cart, but I'm going to put it in my wish list because whether it's when I save enough money or, or when it's the right time or after I have a conversation with my wife or whatever that thing is, like I'm going to purchase um, that thing. And often, even in our lives, we have these, these thoughts about, uh, what we've petitioned God for, what we so desire, what are real circumstances and needs and, and how we would want God to show up in our lives. And, and so many times when, when we have that and when we do that, is the mic on? We okay? We're good? Okay. All right. Um, so often uh, when we do that, there's so many other implications of what that thing is that we want. And sometimes what we really want um, is different than what we think. So in this story, we have Joshua, who's coming to the end of his life, and, and he just lays out some things. And um, in, in this text, we know that Joshua was um, God's servant after Moses, leading the people into the promised land, God's people. God heard the cry of his people when they were in slavery for over 400 years, and, and their desire was to be free. Their desire was to have a place of their own, and God granted that. And it took, by human standards, what seemed to be a very long time for that to happen. So if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Again, we're in Joshua chapter 21, starting at verse 43, and it reads this way. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers, not one of all their enemies have withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. We thank you for that, Lord. Because in it, we see your faithfulness. We, we know that your word does not fail, that all you promise to do, you will do. And we will see it, Lord. And like Israel, there are promises in your word for the believer, for your church, for those that know you and love you because you first loved us. Thank you for that, Lord. And let us know this day, Lord, through all that we go through, your promises are sure that we can trust in who you are. We've seen your faithful hand in our own lives, in the lives of people around us, and throughout your word, Lord. So continue to solidify that in our hearts this day, Lord, as we consider 
on this text and the things that are going on around it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as I was um, reading um, through this account and thinking about uh, Joshua coming to the end of his life and what God did to bring them into the promised land and also recognizing uh, the journey that they went on, watching God's faithfulness throughout it. I was going to give a summary of what took place, but as I was reading, I just went um, to the book of Acts in chapter 7, where Stephen lays out this whole story about God's faithfulness and what he did. So instead of me uh, just summarizing it the way that Stephen wrote the, this was written in the book of Acts, the way Stephen said this was just so beautiful. So I'm going to read directly from Acts chapter 7. And it says this way, and a high priest um, says to, to Stephen, because they arrested him, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into a land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot length, but promised to give to him as a possession and to his offspring after him. Though he had no child, and God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and inflict them for 400 years. So God already laid out, this is what's going to take place. Nothing that we face takes God by surprise. Nothing. God knew in the garden that man was going to fall. And we were even speaking about it upstairs, how only Adam and Eve know what it is to be without sin and then become sinful. And we were even considering in, in their sinful state, could they even reflect back to before they sinned and what that meant? to be with God in that condition because it affects every part of our body. It affects creation. It affects our desires, our mind, our emotions, our intimacy with God. Like once sin was present, could they even have the capacity to go back and think what that was before? Maybe not. And for us, we were born in this state of sin. But what we also considered, God in his perfect plan, that after this is done, 
our state is going to be better than Adam's original state. So, so knowing that God is allowing humanity to go through what they're going through, he has a purpose and it is going to be better than what was set for Adam and Eve in the beginning. So even here where we're reading, God was going to allow them to go through slavery for 400 years. He had a divine purpose in what he was doing. So it says that for 400 years that they would be afflicted, but I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after they out and worship me in this place, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. So even through this, we see God's faithfulness from the promise that he made to Abraham and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his households. So even the wickedness of his brothers to sell him into slavery was part of God's plan and how he was going to bring these people in and take these people out. So these things that happen to us, sometimes by wicked men, sometimes things that seem circumstantial, when things happen in our health, in our lives, in our relationships, even in those things, God is working out his perfect will. Like we need to so embrace that. And the text continues that he was ruler over Egypt and all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out his fathers on their first visit. So, so what's funny is you think like this was like in my mind to do. It's the practical thing to do. There's food over there. Hey, go over there. It's still part of what God is doing. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob and Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. That's who went in to Egypt. We know the masses that came out of there. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died. And he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in a tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the son of Hamar in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, remember there was a promise, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied 
in Egypt. Until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. As we're reading through this, I just want you to think about how God is in charge of all history, how this plan that is being laid out is all part of God's will. So when we think about our personal history, when we think about, oh, this guy Moses came along. No, no, no. God had set all this stuff up. So whether it's Lewis or Bob or Pastor Angelo or even this Bob, right, God set these things up in the way that he's using us, in the place that you find us in, the relationships that we have, us gathering together as a family in church, it's all God. Every one of those struggles, they were in bondage because God was doing something and was making something beautiful in this picture. So it says, that when Moses was born, that he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So this little ark that they made out of pitch and put them on the water and sent them down the stream. It was in God's hands. He, he, even the, the plan to initiate something like that was from God. The, the fact that Pharaoh's daughter would be there at that time, that's not good luck. That's not a coincidence. That is God's divine will moving forward. So when we read these things and we see how God is so detailed in all of these situations, he's always moving, even in the stuff that we do that's messed up. We do like messed up all the time. That's not like taking God by surprise that you do messed up stuff. He already knows even those things he uses, which does not give you a freedom to just do things messed up. There's a consequence for doing things messed up. I'm just saying it doesn't take him by surprise. So it says that he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers and children of Israel and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor 
thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God gave him this encounter. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. God hears our groanings. He knows our affliction. He knows that corporately as a group, and he knows that individually. Those of you that were saved, you were at the end and just the right time. God showed up. He did that when he saved you. Every situation that you're in, he's involved. He knows. His timing is perfect. He's doing something in that affliction that's going to make you more like Christ. So always when you read the Bible, it's not to like make yourself some biblical hero. Hey, I'm just like this guy but it is to watch God's hand in these situations so you understand who he is in character, so you understand how much he loves you, how involved he is, how detailed he is, what you mean to him, and how you are to respond to him. That's the proper way to look at these narrative examples and to use them in your life because you learn of the character of God and it builds your confidence in who he is and how he's holding you close and every single thing that's going on he knows. So it says that I will send you I have come down to deliver them, and now come. I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. See, you could be rejected. It doesn't matter what others say. It matters what God says about you. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us 
Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust them aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Wow. Even those people, even people like us, God redeemed. And it says they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idols and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifice during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the altar of your gods, Rephim, the, the images that you made to worship. And I sent you into exile, into Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directly directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So that's the part that we're up to in this narrative, but it goes on. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for, for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of a house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. You have now betrayed and murdered. You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he was full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast them out of the city and stoned them. And the witnesses laid down his garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. So as we are, are listening to this account, from 
us reading in Joshua 21, that they've come to this place where Joshua is dying. And he speaks about the promise that God made to his people was fulfilled. And then we went along through the story and just watch God's faithfulness through it all. And, and, and like I said, I was going to kind of give an overview of that. And when I read that, I'm like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> Let me read this. It's real good to read Scripture directly from God's Word. Now, as we've heard hundreds of years, a couple of thousand years passed from the time that Stephen started all the way through. And him speaking the truth, he was received something from men, and he received something from God. From men, he received rocks upside his head. From Jesus, he received a standing ovation. He, he was the first martyr of the church. But as we look at this account, as we look at the text that we read, that Israel had received the land that was promised to their forefathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. Just think about that promise made so long ago, that 400 years of slavery, and then those 40 years in the wilderness, and now they've come to a point where God's faithfulness is shown because he will always do what he says he's going to do. But that's a long period of time. Why so long? Because he's changing more than your circumstances. He's changing your heart. So, so as you wait on these things, Understand that he is doing it. And you have to ask yourself, what is the catalyst of change? The catalyst of change is trusting God. It's the weight. It's going through these things that you are uncomfortable with, that you don't want to go through. And at the same time, God is bringing us into the promised land. But him bringing us into the promised land is so much more about what he's doing to us. We're always thinking about the destination instead of the journey. We, we even um, think, I'm not going to be happy until I reach the destination. But the longer part of it is the journey. And usually when you reach one destination, once you're there, you're there. Then you have like a further destination, and then you're not going to be happy again until you get to that next destination through that next journey. No, through it all, we should recognize God's hand of provision that all the circumstances and trials that we go through, that he's doing something in it, and that he will remain faithful. The Bible tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The Bible tells us, know therefore that the Lord your God 
is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant. We break promises. He keeps covenant and steadfast love. Our love wavers, not his. And with those whom love him, he keeps his commands to a thousand, his commandments to a thousand generations. The Bible tells us if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And, and that means if in a, in a circumstance like if it happens this time, because it could be read when we are faithless, because that happens often, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Imagine if God's operation is, well, if you be faithful, I'll be faithful. We can laugh because we have such a confidence that he does not operate that way. Because if he did, we would be done. God is faithful. Another thing that we learn from this text is God has won the victory. God promised Abraham, your descendants will have this land. The thing about it is, walk through it now. Like God has promises for us. He tells us what our destiny is going to be. He knows. He knows the end from the beginning. Now walk through it. So you should have such a confidence walking through it because God has won the victory. God had given Israel victory over all of their enemies. The Bible tells us, for the Lord your God, he is who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. It tells us, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It tells us, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are things that the Word of God says. It's funny because imagine Israel has a new leader, Joshua. Now, he was second in command, so it's not like he just came out of the blue. But Moses, the servant, is dead. Now follow Joshua. And it's at that time that God says, cross over the Jordan. Go and possess the land. And it's like, okay, finally, we're going into the promised land. Get ready to fight. Yes, the Lord goes before you. But you're thinking, hey, promised land, it's a wrap. Let me pick two nice trees for my hammock. Go over to the other side and possess the land. I've already won the battle. It's yours. I've given it to you. Through you being a knucklehead all through these seasons, I've still brought you to this place, and I keep my promise because when you are faithless, I'm still faithful because of who I am. So we can walk in that. So it says that, it shows us that God is faithful 
It shows us that God has won the victory. And then the text also tells us that God gave them rest on every side because he had sworn that to their fathers. The Bible tells us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take up my, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In another place, the Bible tells us, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. One of the things that we have to recognize about rest is rest does not mean and cannot become an activity. Like rest does not mean, okay, now you don't have to do anything. We already know that God's promises tells us when we get to heaven, we will find rest. That does not mean pick your clouds. God has work for us to do when we get to heaven. A lot of what it talks about in terms of rest is the comfort of knowing that God is in control. That he, as he shows us another promise that I made to you fulfilled. We should be deeper and deeper in rest. Throughout the chaos and all the situations that we go through. But at the same time, in saying that, we could have a, a portion of rest here. He has rest in store for us, but it does not mean an activity. One of the things that we recognize is even in this situation, we've just read this, we know that this is still way in the beginning of the Bible. We know that the book of Judges comes after the book of Joshua and all the things that they did to put themselves in a situation to kind of take themselves out of rest. So there are times and often in our lives where we reach spiritual plateaus. But we must still grow. Like our trajectory should look, you know, something like this as we move it forward. And sometimes we dip down and start moving up. What it shouldn't look like is this. No, we're going to have plateaus. But the minute you get to a certain place and you take that deep breath, whew, I'm here. That doesn't mean to take your hands and put them behind your head Put your feet up and it's over. No, because one of the things that happens is in every spiritual victory, it comes with a new set of challenges. That's not a bad thing. That is a good thing as God continues to move us forward. God will always keep his promises. He is faithful. He gives rest. He is 
always working in our lives. And as his people, we should have an assurance. Our faith should be strengthened because God's covenants do not fail. Because God's power and wisdom gives us victory in all of these areas in our lives against the enemy. We can trust God's promises no matter what the circumstances that we go through. These are, these are spiritual resources that we should be gleaning from, spiritual resources that we should be depending on. He changes more than your circumstances. He's changing your heart. First John chapter 3, starting at verse 1, says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. For the reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Wow. Like, amen. Worship team, you can, you can come up. So as we consider... God's faithfulness in this story. And we look at this timeline that Stephen laid out. Hey, this is what God has done in his people. And he brings them to these places where another promise fulfilled. We, in our own lives, can look at that and say, hey, I have things that I can look back to in my life and say, that was a promise fulfilled. This was a promise fulfilled. That was a promise fulfilled. So we know the things that we are praying for, the things that are on that wish list, for lack of a better term, that we've petitioned the Lord for in his perfect time and in his way he's going to see it through when they were crying out in slavery God deliver us they asked for something but it is for God to lay out how he's going to be go about it but he always does it's never the way like we paint the picture God, this is what I desire, and this is the way that I want you to do it. We, we often do that. Everything that he does is better than what we would desire for him to do. I didn't say it was easier. It's better. It's going to produce things far greater than what we thought it would produce. They wanted to be with their own possession, have land, the promised land. And they actually became 
his possession. That's far greater than anything that they would have had, which is a piece of earth. He was doing something far greater. He's doing something far greater in each and every one of us. And we need to take hold of that. Would you stand with me, family, so that I could pray for you? Father, we so thank you as we consider the way you operate in the lives of your people from the beginning of time with man. We see your faithfulness, Lord. We see that not one of your promises failed. We recognize your timing being perfect, oh God. Thank you for that, Lord. Every enemy we've ever had, you've defeated. The enemy of our soul, you've defeated. Sin and death, you've defeated. You've covered us by the precious blood of the Lamb. That when we are faithless, you're still faithful because you cannot deny yourself, oh God. Your covenant stands true in us being in the covenant of grace. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We anticipate what you're going to continue to do all the way to your promise kept, we will stand before you face to face. Wow. You are God. You are King. You are Lord. Sometimes life gets mundane. Sometimes it gets confusing. Sometimes it doesn't make sense but you have purpose in all that you're doing, oh God. Let us walk in that with an excitement, with a joy, Lord, recognizing who you are, what you've done, and who we are in you, Lord. So we lay these things at your feet, Lord, thanking you, Father, with a great excitement, joy, and anticipation of what you're doing, Lord. And we pray for the one, Lord, that are hearing these words saying, I didn't know that's who God was. Continue to do a work in that heart, Lord. It is only you, Father, who breaks up the fallow ground. It is only your truth, Lord, that cuts and does surgery, Lord. Have your word, your way, Lord, as you expose sin and a need for you by your light. Your word says that you are light. And as you expose the condition of the sinner, let them not run away from the light, but run to it. Let them acknowledge their condition and recognition for you, the Redeemer, the Savior, 
the Holy One of Israel, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let them see how much you love them by what you've done on Calvary, how you've died on the cross, coming from your throne, becoming a man, and paying the penalty for sin for those who believe, Lord. Open that eyes, open those eyes, stop those ears, Lord. Change that heart. But it's only you that can do that. Bring them to a place of repentance and recognizing their necessity for you, O oh God. That they would cry out, save me, Lord. For us that know you, Lord, that may be at a spiritual high or a spiritual low, Continue to do a work, Lord. Build our faith, our trust in you, that we would walk out what you've called us to do with great joy, anticipation, and hope for all that you're doing. We thank you for that, God, because you are good. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, saints.